Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Mental Wellness Mondays, a podcast by Two Broke Twimbles that focuses on your mental well-being in so many different facets of life. Sometimes we go deep down in the jungles of scientific discussions, and sometimes we discuss things about real life, you know, real situations. Um, we are happy to have you with us, and as usual, we have Dr. Nyarai of Wyatt Love and Thrive, our, our, um, our, our, what's a good word to describe, our reliable... Um, our be- beacon of mental health, wellness yes. and health yeah. really really there to change our lives and yours uh, but she likes to introduce us to some of her friends and her colleagues um, that really help us to have all of these like um, all round discussions that we often have so first of all thank you very much Dr. Nirai for being here she said thank you hi how are you guys doing <laughs> good Doug how are you doing? just in time well, well done Dr. Nirai <laughs> And uh, today she has brought us uh, uh, someone we're very excited to meet and have a conversation with. That's uh, Rachel. She insisted that we call her Rachel so that our fellow Zimbabweans know that uh, we are speaking to a Zimbabwean. Rachel Adams. No, I'm kidding. It's Rachel Adams. She is um, the founder of Narachi Leadership, where she merges tools from neuroscience, psychology, and ontology to give a holistic opportunity for growth and development. And we are very excited to get into each of those individual uh, tools that you're referring to. Uh, by the way, she was named one of the 100 young influential Africans of 2019. So, mm. you know, you know, we are speaking to someone legit. I was 103 on that list. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was, I was in the top 200. It's, we didn't make the final list. But. Yeah. <laughs> we got in the certificate, you know, like when you're in grade one and you do the length of the pool, yeah, we got that. You did one length of breaststroke certificate, <laughs> the list. So, you know, we're pretty much in the same league. Yeah? Same. <laughs> Brilliant. Thank you very much for joining us. Do you mind if we call you Rachel? Absolutely. That's perfectly fine. Thank you for having me, guys. Absolutely. Absolutely. She's also a fan of the podcast. So I heard. Uh, she's listened to every episode. Mm, every. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. She's laughing a little too hard. I know, you know, like that laugh was just a little too like, <laughs> how dare you? <laughs> so just to catch you up, Rachel, something that we've, we've started doing uh, from the beginning of 2022 is to try and have conversations about making sure that we are set for the year, starting the year off right and making sure that we're, we're sorting out things that need to be sorted out at the beginning of the year. Um, we've had whole, all manner of conversations ranging from, um, relationships all the way to um, workplaces and so on. So uh, I think a great place for us to to sort of get into it with you right at the beginning is what is Narachi about and what are these tools that you use for people's growth and development? And then we can see how we can, we can help ourselves and our listeners too with your help. Fantastic. Thank you so much. So Narachi Leadership is a consultancy whose mission is to give leaders the kinds of tools that support them towards what we call authentic power and courageous leadership. Authentic power because we believe that a lot of leaders, in fact, a lot of human beings, period, have spent an entire lifetime running away from themselves. And and that's because a lot of the messaging that we tend to get is that we are not sufficient um, and that the best way to be is to be something that we are not, whether it's the, the subjects that we study or the, the traits that we find to be admirable, whatever it is, we tend to spend a lifetime running away from ourselves. And we believe that it's only when leaders are in their authentic power 
that they're able to create outcomes that actually serve humanity. And then the, the courageous leadership is because we believe that it is only with courage that we can create the world that we deserve. So Narachi leadership, basically, we try to create a safe space in which people can have conversations that bring them back to authentic power and courageous leadership. Um, and we've been doing this now for the last seven years. I think I started Narachi leadership in 2015. Um, and we've worked uh, in countries all over the continent. We've worked with leaders from all sorts of sectors across the continent, including uh, emerging leaders, which is something we're really passionate about. So high school students, university students, etc. Um, I think that that's all very admirable. Um, and I've got a question, but before I do, so as I was reading your bio, there's a word I came across, Dan, that I had to Google and get a... Is it the same word I Googled here, Philip? It is indeed. Oh, the same. So there's a word that is flummoxed. <laughs> flummoxed us. And we were like, no, we and have it, to understand. You know, we are no small fry here, you know, between Phil and myself. I mean, we have vast knowledges of... Our, our collective IQ is at least 35. So, you know, <laughs> no small feat that you've... You've left us uh, befuddled. So, um, as, as as part of your your bio, you said that you practice ontology, and I googled it and said ontology is the philosophical study of the nature of being, becoming, existence, or reality. Mm. It is part of the major branch of philosophy known as metaphysics. Mm. Ontology deals with questions about what things exist or can be said to exist, mm. and how such entities can be grouped according to similarities and differences. I mean, I, I feel dumb already. So now that we've established that and, and what do you do at Naraji, first and foremost, how do you even determine if someone's a leader? Because what if someone thinks they're a leader, but after you've done the metaphysical analysis, what we call the ontological um, pragmatism, exactly. How, how do you then tell them, ah, I'm sorry, you are a sheep. <laughs> Back of the- well, I mean, this is this is part of the, the power of looking at authenticity because everybody is a leader. The problem is that sometimes we're doing leadership. We're doing leadership in spaces where we don't belong. So okay. what do I mean by that? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Some people are leaders of ideas, right? So they're not necessarily leaders of people. They're not necessarily leaders of systems. They're leaders of ideas. They're very good at bringing new thought into the world. Then some people are leaders of people. They're very good at coordinating action amongst other human beings and with other human beings. Some people are leaders of systems. They're very good at looking at the systemic uh, characteristics of a place or a space and bringing improvements to that. Um, Some people are leaders of change. They're the kinds of people who are courageous enough to live in the future Sometimes we call these people entrepreneurs, right? And they're able to bring new ways of being and doing in the world. So the question is, are you as a leader aware of where is your authentic space to lead? Um, And so ontology actually being about the art of being helps leaders look at the question of what is internal? What drives my actions in the world? What is the history of those actions? Which includes what are my strengths and what are my weaknesses and what do I have business doing and what do I have no business doing? Mm. There's, uh, there's something that you mentioned earlier that uh, I think really caught my attention. Uh, you were speaking about how in the world, or oh, it seems the world continues to try and make us something that we're not 
or to push us away from what we actually are. And um, when we were, when we were discussing beforehand, like, oh, this would be a great conversation to have. Perhaps we could get into discussions about acceptance. And I think that word is a, is a big word when we are talking about your mental well-being as a whole. So how do you help people achieve that state of acceptance? So first of all, when we talk about self-acceptance, we're saying that you are in a healthy relationship with your unique attributes, whether they're positive or negative. So that over time, you've been able to build a sense of acceptance that the canvas you came with is who you are, and that's what you have to work with, right? So the mind that you have, the body that you have, the looks that you have at a very sort of um, surface level, but even more than that, the unique strengths that you that you have, the unique perspectives, the unique cognition, all of that is part of self-acceptance. And first of all, why it's important for me to build self-acceptance is that the opposite of self-acceptance is not self-hatred, which is what people tend to think it is. It's actually self-repression. And self-repression is a very active resistance of who you are. And that can be very dangerous because when people are in self-repression, it means they are in total denial or an active resistance of who they are naturally. And this leads to a lot of issues with self-esteem at a very low end and a very high end depression, right? I sometimes ask people, are you depressed or are you repressed? Because they feel, they can feel the same, but they're different. And so for me, it's that's why the conversation matters in the first place, because I think we have a world that is very, very unhealthy because people don't have a healthy relationship with who they are. Uh, Brene Brown um, says very powerfully um, that a lot of human beings go through life hustling for worthiness. And I really love, I really love that, right? This idea that you go out into the world trying to fit in when really what you should be doing is being your unique self. So, yeah. Mm. So then how we do that, how we bring people into self-acceptance is firstly by making people aware of this. Because a lot of the time we're not, we're not even aware that this is what we are doing, that we are being in, 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 in self-repression or self-denial. Um, and then we give people different tools. So, for example, um, giving people tools to understand their unique personality type. I'm a practitioner of what is called the Myers-Briggs type indicator. So we look at what is the unique way in which you process energy? What is the unique way in which you process information? What is the unique way in which you make decisions or organize yourself? And when you come to understand that, you can start to leverage those things. You know, what are your unique values versus what society tells you you should believe in or you should do. So, you know, so do you actually buy into the ideas of marriage in your society, of childbearing in your society, of what education looks like, of what talent looks like, et cetera? So it's a really brave journey of returning to yourself. For me, that's what self-acceptance is, where initially you would have ignored what really brings resonance for you, where you feel like this is who I am. You actually come into courageous relationship with it. Mm, mm, mm. Okay, so on a practical standpoint, obviously um, our listeners aren't able to have a consultation with you, but what are some of the practical steps that they maybe can do to start this journey um, to use some of those methods that you use to help them become less suppressed or depressed? So the, yeah, so the first journey towards self-acceptance is actually self-awareness. 
which means start to notice what comes naturally to you, what is unique to you. You know, it's often beautiful when you watch children who I find are probably the closest to their natural attributes, right? They go, they go towards what they love. Children very rarely, unless they're in an abusive situation, go towards what they naturally resonate with. And so self-awareness, which is the first step, is noticing what are you attracted to? What are you drawn to? So, you know, my mom often says when she, if she ever lost me as a child, which happened very rarely, but if she did, it was because I had stopped people watching. <laughs> I was fascinated by human beings and their behaviors. I've always been. Um, and so that's the first piece. Notice what you gravitate towards. Then the next step is to courageously start to accept that this is who you are. It's one thing to be aware of it, but it's another thing to accept. So I remember being in, in, um, in high school and becoming very keenly and sharply aware that I was terrible with numbers, right? I just, they gave me such constipation. I just felt like every time I saw a number, I was, my mind would just start to like, I was like, I don't like this. Um, but what I noticed is that I loved things to do with words. I loved things to do with people. And so the self-acceptance piece is a radical courage in saying, okay, so I now see that I'm not good at the thing that everybody's telling me I should be good at because in Zimbabwe, if you're a, if you're a good learner, you should be good at maths. I said, I'm not good at this stuff. But what I'm starting to notice and accept is that I have a gift and a talent towards the stuff that is... Um, inclined towards the humanity. So that's the self-acceptance piece. And then the last piece is then to start to be in relationship with the doing around that, that, that gift or talent that you have or that natural inclination. So for me, for example, when I quit my job uh, at Yale University to return to Zimbabwe seven years ago, <laughs> it was because it was because I had actually come into full acceptance of the fact that this is my life's work. And so the radical decision was to now put action on it. So it's one thing to be aware. It's one thing to accept, but it's the next step to then say, so what do I do about it? How do I courageously show up in the world as who I really am? Um, and when we do that, we find that we come full circle and coming back to ourselves and life becomes that much easier. Mm. It just, there's a flow. There's a flow that we get into because we are in a divine and sacred relationship with who we uniquely are. So I have two questions. The first one, uh, please, could you say the word January? January. Okay. All right. Okay. Why? I, I just want to confirm that you said Yale and you were not trying to say jail or something. So. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> Very impressive. So badly behaved. <laughs> <laughs> the second question is another thing that you said earlier that's sort of been hanging in my mind. I've been trying to figure out how to phrase it is you said that it's important for us to become or to get into uh, or uh, basically to have a good relationship with our, our positive and negative attributes. How does one cultivate a positive or good relationship with our negative attributes? Yeah, it's a beautiful question. So, so the, the, the main ideas I drive around this, the first one is that your negative attributes are likely what you did not come to the earth to do. <laughs> and so your weaknesses, the stuff that you struggle with is likely very, very far away from what your life's mission should be. 
And so when you see it that way, weaknesses become much more acceptable, right? You can see them as just part of the yin and yang of life. We all have a light and we all have a shadow. And that's not changing anytime soon. The second thing is to get into a healthy relationship with managing negative attributes versus trying to change them. I would say there's the reason, there's a reason why people have the same year's resolutions every year. <laughs> it's often because they're trying to change, to force fit a part of themselves that is actually just a part of their unique um, attributes of negative traits. In fact, negative is given the wrong word. I, I prefer to call them weaknesses, right? It's not negative puts a value on them. They're actually not negative. It's just stuff you're not good at. Mm. Um, and so the second piece is to, to just learn to manage them because what we don't want weaknesses to do is to take over our lives. But ultimately, we must accept that weaknesses will always be weaknesses. So when you apply effort to a weakness, you're likely to become slightly better at it. But there's a very, very, very small chance that you're ever going to be strong at something you're weak at. So to fight it is to fight a losing battle. If you apply effort to strength, however, even a small amount of effort, you're likely to have exponential growth. So the second piece is just to, to, to work on them. And then the third piece is to build a tribe, as I always say. When you have weaknesses, there's somebody else who has strengths that the opposite of those weaknesses and so find people who can who can be the strength that you don't have that's the point of why we build teams in the first place so as an example i am i am really good at people work i love being with people i love immersing myself in it i love listening uh, my ceo always says to me how do you listen to all of these problems and not lose your mind because i have a gift in it and i've accepted that this is something i can do but for example, I'm not the most organized person on the planet, right? I'm just one of those people who likes to do things spontaneously. I, I, no matter how much I plan and try, it's just not something that I am naturally good at. I will likely forget something. I will likely miss a small detail. I have done the second step, which is I've learned to manage it so that it doesn't completely derail me. But my COO, uh, Rina, is a machine when it comes to organization. I mean, she can do this stuff in her sleep. So when I was hiring, it was important that I find somebody who's the opposite of me. So we need not be afraid of, of, of weaknesses or quote unquote negative traits, because that's just not what we are here for. But certainly we can partner with people who have those strengths that are the opposite of our weaknesses. Mm, okay. So how far does that guideline of not working on your weaknesses extend? Because um, as a personal shout out baby, she said that you shouldn't work on your weaknesses. So if you say I'm a bad communicator, I'm just not going to keep working on it because I need to focus on my strengths. Okay. And I, I feel that, that, that that's a better way to go about it. Um, but jokes aside, if I am a bad communicator and it's affecting not only my personal life, but my professional life, how do I then balance working on that weakness versus focusing on what I'm already good at so I can get exponential growth? Beautiful. My, my first question to a bad communicator is what are you good at? <laughs> because again, we all know what we are bad at and we can name, we can like put together a list of what those things are. My challenge becomes, do you have a clear picture of what you're good at? Because Often when you're in the world doing what you're good at, 
your weaknesses cease to matter as much. Have you noticed this? When people are brilliant at something, people are very forgiving of the stuff that they're not good at. So for example, um, there's a woman I love to, to listen to. Um, her name, her last name is me, Carlotta. She's a, she's a, a social scientist, and I can't remember her last name, but she is so brilliant at the subject matter of what she does. She doesn't communicate very well. She swallows a lot of her words. You know, she isn't always very clear, but her content is so brilliant that it almost doesn't matter. Albert Einstein, who is our resident genius, often said, you know, I'm not a genius. I am just a person who followed the natural proclivities of my natural cognition. And, and so we know Albert Einstein had a lot of weaknesses, right? I mean, the man doesn't look like he even combed his hair, if you look at him. <laughs> but did we care for that? No, we, we cared for the fact that he was coming up with theories that, that changed the world. So my first answer to that is, don't tell me the story of what you're bad at before you tell me the story of what you're good at, because that's the starting point. And then when that has happened, we can have an exploration for how you can manage the things that you're not good at. So I'm a bad communicator. Okay, what does that mean? Does that mean you don't have articulation? Does that mean you struggle with, because you're an introvert, you're in your head a lot, so you struggle to come out of your head? Is it that you you are often not prepared when it comes to communication, you get nervous and you can't think on your feet? What is the stretch that we can do to help you build some level, some level um, of capability so that it doesn't paralyze you? But if you're a bad communicator, I'm not expecting you to ever become an excellent communicator. I'm expecting that that's never going to be your job. But I want to know what you're good at because that's the stuff I want to work on. Mm, that's difficult to answer. Eh? So I, I think we tapped into um, a pretty good conversation. So as you were, you're, you're saying that, I was also just thinking of, um, we, we look at a lot of the super wealthy today, um, a lot of um, venture capitalists or serial entrepreneurs who are excellent at their jobs. For example. Um, Elon Musk, but some might say not a very well-rounded individual. And that's like, that. that's the, I think that's the quintessential example I'm looking for where excellent engineer, excellent mind, not so good to work for, not so good to trust your money with because he might just decide to get high and crash your stock <laughs> shit, your stock price. You know what I mean? So yeah. practically, how do you then work with someone like that to say, uh, let's say the communication is not bad. It's, 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 it's almost in the negative. How do you a work with them? And then how do you find a healthy balance to say, okay, we've now done the best we can with your weak points. Let's now focus on that exponential growth. Beautiful. I mean, you know, so Jim Collins talks about what he calls level five leadership, which is that when you get to level five leadership, you have both an incredible mastery of your, or skill or whatever it is you do in the world, but you also have humility. I think for me, for people like Elon Musk, there's something about accepting that certain things aren't your strengths. And so how do you build a team around you that can therefore be in the limelight or in the spotlight when it comes to those things? I would stay away from Twitter if I was Elon Musk in the same way that we say Donald Trump should have stayed away from Twitter, right? There are things, there are things people like that are very, very good at. And then there's a, there should be an awareness about what is not mine to do. Um, and so what we love about Elon Musk is that he's innovating in a way that most people are not afraid to innovate. And that's what he is here for. 
but he might not be here to be the world's best communicator. The same story was true of Steve Jobs. We heard Steve Jobs in many ways was very, very difficult to work with, but he was a brilliant mind. Um, but I, I don't know that I wanted necessarily for Steve Jobs to be the best person to work for per se. I'm quite happy that he was busy innovating. What those leaders often fail to do is to then balance their gifts with humility, which is to say, this is the end of my skill set and this is where I stop. And then let me let other people come on board. Let me let other people be the public face of the brand. Let them speak because they're better with words. Let these people tweet for me because they're better with that. When we sometimes hubris kicks in and then we think we are know-it-alls. So I think money does that, right? When people have a lot of money and power in the world, then there are no limits to what they can do. And we have to be careful of that. I think most of us are not Elon Musk level or Steve Jobs level or anything like that. Most of us, it's just us, you know, going to work, maybe have a job, maybe work for someone else. Maybe I have my small little business, whatever the case is. Most of us are just us. Um, so here I've identified and I am self-aware of my air quotes, negative traits and my weaknesses. Um, I remember when I was listening to two broke trimbos, um, Rachel over there said that I, I need to focus on my positive traits and accept my negatives. Um, mm-hmm. is that something that is, is a, a viable step to take, whether it's relationship wise, whether it's professional wise, um, because I, I can't hire someone to do what I can't do or what I'm not good at in a personal situation or in a, uh, as an employee, for example. Well, no, absolutely. So for example, I'm just Rachel, uh, and I'm looking for a job, right? I'm looking to get employed. What are your strengths good for, Right. Don't go into a job that always gets you back into your weaknesses because you're going to be miserable and you're going to be depressed. So where do I find work in the world that allows me to do what is unique and true of who I am? Now, you'll be surprised that most people stumble into jobs. A lot of people apply for what they know um, is easy to apply for and is available. I work with young people a lot. And I often catch them out because they say, oh, no, but these are the only jobs that are available. Okay, how much time did you spend actually exploring what jobs are available for the strengths that you have? In fact, there's an exercise that I do where I say to people, name your strengths and then think of 15 to 20 jobs you could do. And they're so fascinated because they think, well, I never imagined there were 15 to 20 jobs I could do. And then they find out they are. And so a lot of the time, if you're looking for work, you want to think about what is uniquely for me. If you're wanting to be an entrepreneur, again, don't sell tomatoes because everybody's selling tomatoes. Be uniquely with what you think um, you are very good at and be courageous to explore that. So, you know, for example, I um, names are evading me today. Um, the woman from Elsie, uh, Elsie Majimbo. You know, it was so fascinating during COVID, right, to see that here's this young woman who from her bed with a bag of chips and a pair of very bad sunglasses literally created a brand by being uniquely who she is. And nobody would have ever guessed that this was a thing. But my point is that there is an audience for you in the world. There is something for you in the world that is suited uniquely for the gifts that you have. And it might be something you do as part of it, as an employee, as part of an organization. It might be something that you do as an entrepreneur and employing your own people. It might be something that you do as a solo project. For example, some of us 
actually aren't great team players. We are actually better off working alone than we are with other human beings. That's also an acceptance of your unique attributes. So find the work that allows you to do that. Maybe you're meant to be a researcher. Maybe you're somebody who sits in a room and experiments and tinkers with things until you come up with solutions and then you bring them out to the world. So, but it takes courage to, 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 to come into acceptance of that um, versus to just walk the path that everybody else is walking. I would love for us to go through a, almost a, a real life session, um, perhaps with us that can help us, you know, in our own journey. Um, by the way, you did mention that, uh, earlier when we were talking about, when we were reading your bio, we did mention the various tools that you use. Um, do you mind sharing with us what those tools are? Yeah. So like, like we've already discussed, ontology is about looking at who are you being as a leader versus what are you doing? Um, and so the, at the beingness level, we are looking to say if we transform a leader at the level of their internal state, then they're much more likely to sustainably change the external, right? So that's the, the ontology. Neuroscience um, is, is an exploration of the relationship of the brain-body connection and the nervous system. And there's a new uh, field, it's a relatively new field called neuroleadership that basically looks at the relationship between our brains and how we lead. Um, and this is such an exciting field because ultimately if you're leading people, you're leading brains. And so as a leader, if you don't understand what brains are naturally inclined to do, you can run into a lot of problems. So for example, we're having lots of, and I actually got into a little bit of trouble with this today because I was running a women's workshop this, um, this, this morning and I was disagreeing with the hashtag for this year's International Women's Day, Break the Bias. I said, well, first of all, neuroscientifically, that's not possible. A healthy brain is a biased brain. You cannot break bias. <laughs> the but brain so is actually... I mean, say that not, again. You, you see, when you come in with this science and factual things, it's yeah. not healthy. We need something that rolls off the tongue. We're trying exactly. to keep our imaginations here. Right, exactly. And that becomes one of the reasons why we don't solve problems sustainably. Because then people go out into the world having this expectation that we're going to break bias. You're never going to break bias. The human brain, you have a part of your brain called the fusiform gyrus. Its role is pattern recognition. So what happens with this part of your brain is whenever you encounter something that is different to you, that part of the brain stalls and it's trying to figure out, is this safe? And often the brain decides it's not safe. And that's when we become badly behaved and we start to stereotype and prejudice and prejudice. But that part of the brain is what has allowed humanity to be alive today. We are one of the weakest species on the planet, if you think about it. And it is our quick bias, our quick decision making around that doesn't look safe to me that has allowed us to be here long enough. In the modern day, our brains haven't changed very much. And so bias is what people do. So you can't really break the bias. I, I mean, I know it's catchy and everything, but it creates these wrong expectations, right? That when sometimes people then behave badly, we cancel them instead of accepting that sometimes people will behave with bias because that's what the brain does. How do we mitigate it? How do we make the impact less? 
how do we manage it? Those are, you know, so hashtag manage the bias might have been a better hashtag. <laughs> and so that's the neuroscience piece, right? How do you understand human brains? And how do you understand, for example, how people get motivated? We know that people are most creative when they're relaxed. So Kellogg School of Management did a, an experiment where they got people to share uh, embarrassing moments. And they get another group of people to share proud moments. And then they ask them to think about all the uses of a paperclip. And it's the people who've shared embarrassing moments who are the most creative. Why? Because embarrassment, sharing embarrassing moments makes us all more relaxed because we see, oh, you're just human, just like me. And so we're more creative, right? So a, a, a relaxed brain is a more creative brain. It's like when we're now in our corporates going, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, hey, boss, <laughs> Mr. So-and-so, we're actually limiting creativity in the human brain. And this is important to understand. Mm. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. So in terms of our, our live session, um, ah, she wants us to pay first. That's the whole point of getting us here. Yeah, getting. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, you don't want to pay. It's not that, no, you see, what's it? it's not that I don't want to pay. It's about wanting. Yeah. You know, it, it's more about it, payment is my weakness. And I, I am focusing on my strong points. <laughs> Which is not paying. <laughs> Um, Brilliant. I love it. I love it. Good comeback. What I would love is for our listeners to walk away from this, not just thinking, yeah, that makes sense, but also thinking, what can I do today? What can I do tomorrow? What can I do um, this week, this month, this year? So what kind of, what kind of um, resources, what kind of tools, what kind of advice would you give to people that you would speak to? Um, um, yeah, I think that's, that's kind of like the, the, the live session echoes that I'm talking about. Mm. Of course, Absolutely. I know you would want you'd want more information in each individual situation, but just as a, a general rule that some that people can work on and and hopefully take from this. So, first of all, thank goodness for the internet because there's so many free resources um, that can support you on this journey. The first one is go and find tools that help you name your natural strengths. Uh, Strengths Finder is a good one. Uh, the Myers-Briggs type indicator is another is another good one. 16personalities.com. Uh, yeah, yeah. 16 personalities yeah. is the bootleg version of it. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, um, there's a website called humanmetrics.com that has some of the some of some really good free uh, uh, assessments that you can take. What all of these will do is to help you to name what is natural for you and to be in relationship with it because there's something powerful about language. When somebody says to you, this is the way you tend to be and this is the way you tend to do things and there's something very freeing about it, right? So so go to those tools. The second thing is then start to invest in figuring out where where those strengths can be applied, right? Go and invest in researching where is what I am good at applicable. You know, so for example, I know that certain technology companies in the world today are looking for people with uh, dance skills because they're trying to figure out how to make robots more flexible. So again, you'll be surprised at the weird and wonderful places in which you are employable or in which you can find entrepreneurial capability. Um, And then thirdly, the last thing I would say is find a tribe of people. There's nothing more empowering than finding people who have similar strengths to yours who are doing something with those strengths so that you can see 
what is possible. So, for example, I'm part of a tribe of people who do work around the world in healing and helping people to return to themselves. I've attended their festivals and their conferences, and my mind gets broadened about what else is possible. If I kept hanging out with people who are engineers, I would consistently feel depressed and ashamed and a little, you know, a little person because that's not what I do. And maybe I should be more like this person. But because now I've surrounded myself with people who do similar work, I find myself always strengthened. Um, we, we grow and evolve in community. And so the communities you surround yourself with absolutely matter. Nice. Cool. Oh, I think we've covered a lot of ground here, yeah, even though she refused to give us a free session. She didn't want to give us a free Okay, if we want to pay for a session, how do we find you, Rachel? <laughs> <laughs> so you can actually find us uh, on all social media except for Twitter. Uh, Twitter is our natural weakness. I can't deal with Twitter. Um, <laughs> so Facebook, <laughs> YouTube, <laughs> um, Instagram, LinkedIn. Uh, and then either Rachel Naradzo Adams, which is my full name, or Narachi Leadership. Okay. By the way, Narachi, because people always ask, is with Rachel. So it's Na, Shona, Na, Narachi, which is what ah, I we see, we see. <laughs> Before you go, actually, there's a question I had for you. So as I was researching for this interview, there was a, a TED Talk you gave. And and I don't know if you if you listen if you watch the TED talk, but she was she was wringing the wrists of Africans who live and don't want to return to fix the nation, mm. which, as I'm sure you know, is in stark contrast with our philosophy, which is basically if you want success as a Zimbabwean, you need to get your passport stamped and never return. <laughs> That's not, that's not our real policy, by the way. <laughs> I hear you. I hear you. But um, practically, we do have a, a bunch of young listeners who are outside of the country, um, some of whom have left for, 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 for financial reasons or prosperity or just um, a career and so forth. For people who have built a life outside of Zimbabwe or looking to build a life of Zimbabwe, how do you feel that they can still contribute to Zimbabwe if they're not quite ready to move back. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, first of all, the talk you're talking about, the crisis of courage, I want to be very, very clear. I am one of those people who left Zimbabwe a very long time ago, right? Um, I couldn't afford to go to university. My family didn't have money. And so I went abroad to raise money for university, which I did for three years before I then went to university. So there's absolute value in being outside of the country. Let's be clear about that. For me, what I was, what I was, what I have a challenge with is when we run away from our citizen responsibility, um, which is that I think when we have this relationship with, with the idea that life should always be comfortable and we don't accept hardship as an legitimate part of life, we miss out an opportunity to contribute towards shifting the landscape of that hardship. And so my invitation with the crisis of courage was to say, guys, don't disengage with your country. It's your country. It's the only country you'll ever have, you know? And so if we don't apply effort to, to solving the issues of our country, then, you know, nothing changes. Um, for those who have chosen to be outside, however, look for the multiple ways in which you can engage and in which you can transfer 
whether it's skills or resources or insights that can help the folk who are still here. And likewise, collaborations, because it's not just you giving us stuff, right? We can also give you stuff. And so there are many talented Zimbabweans who are world-class in what they do who are here who would benefit from collaborations abroad. I was just on a call the other day with a young woman in Canada who came across my profile and she said to me, I just want to re-talk to you about your return and what gave you courage to return. And we're having an engagement about what is the dance between staying and coming back and, you know, what makes sense for me. Um, you know, do what makes sense for you, absolutely, but also do what makes sense for the country of your birth. Because if we all, if we all give up on it, then, <laughs> you know, nothing, nothing remains. Um, Nothing remains of what is possible. And Zimbabweans are so incredibly talented and therefore so much is possible if we apply our, all of our efforts in strategic ways. Mm, ah, I believe it. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I echo those sentiments, Dan, to you. I do. I do. So what she's saying is don't leave. Don't leave ever. I, look. I, I didn't think, say that. I think what she's <laughs> saying is. If your weakness is Zimbabwe, then it's better not to work on it. <laughs> it's better to look for your Thank you very much, Rachel, for spending some time speaking to us. And uh, uh, Dr. Nyorai, I don't know if you, are, if you are happy with us ending it there or if you had anything extra that you wanted to add before we, we, before we give our thanks to, to Rachel. It was brilliant. I'm so happy she joined us, um, Rachel. Really happy about that. Thank you so much. Thank you for inviting me. Absolutely. Really appreciate it. Thank you to both of you. Uh, Sometime yeah. soon. Uh, I hope you come members. again. Thank you. You're very welcome. <laughs> Sometime soon. They're not broke, though. We, we can invite you again on specific issues. We'd be happy to do that. Uh, <laughs> on a free workshop. <laughs> on a free workshop. <laughs> <laughs> in the meantime though thank you very much for spending some time sp uh, speaking to us this is mental wellness mondays a podcast by two broke Twimbles. mental wellness mental health as you have heard uh if this is your first time joining us please consider subscribing as we regularly talk to different people that are in the field of betterment and uh, hopefully that's something that uh, will help you and your loved ones in your own life so yeah thank you very much rachel and uh, i hope you have a great evening and great week to come etc Thank you, you too. Thank you so much. All right, here we go. That was good. Thanks. Some good quotables there. Thank you, guys. It was thank you. very good. No, thank you for taking the time. Thanks, really Rachel. Yeah, no, thank you. Such a pleasure. I really am a fan. I just I started listening to your podcast yesterday, and really, I am a fan. Oh, no. Thank you. Thank you. Very good. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank yeah. you very much. Very, very good. Please spread the word, you know. Thank you. <laughs> I will do. I will do act absolutely because I really did enjoy it. Thank you. Thanks. So this episode should be out next very Monday good. on Monday. Yeah. Sure thing. All right. I'll share, All right. I'll share on the socials that are on Twitter. All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Is that they're so big on Twitter? Oh my god, I can't no, that's our favorite. I not <laughs> oh no, Twitter is not uh, uh, This is too much anger on Twitter. Like, guys, why are we all so angry? <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna weed it out to find the positive people. Find the positive people. <laughs> yeah, no, it's too much work. I can find them on Instagram. Instagram people are so happy and so zen and so like. <laughs> 
they just relaxed. Yeah. <laughs> that's my audience. That's they're my crowd. They are fake. That's what they are. They are fake. The real people are there on Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> Enjoy. Enjoy. All right. Thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Dr. Gerard. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye.